0: Dave Werns. Uh, I'm the Director of Mobilization here at Grace Fellowship, and it is my honor to get to open up God's Word with you all this morning. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a sermon series that's going through the book of Acts, and we're going to be wrapping up chapter 2 today. So if you want to make your way there in your copies of the scripture, I hope you guys brought a Bible uh, or your phone. Um, The end of chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 40 through the end. So I usually find that... It's helpful, if we intend to apply the Bible to our lives, it's helpful to imagine yourself in the story, experiencing it as it happens. So I'm going to zoom out from chapter 2 just a little bit to help us do that, get some context, and then we're going to hit the ground running in verse 40. So imagine with me, you're in Jerusalem, right? It's been about two months since Jesus died and rose again. Uh, It's been a little over a week, about 10 days, since he wrapped up his earthly ministry and ascended back to heaven, giving his disciples and followers an instruction, wait in Jerusalem, hang out in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and then you're going to receive power and you'll be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit rushes into the upper room on, on 130 followers. That was about 20 minutes ago, okay, in this passage. And then, and then they start speaking in foreign languages, giving testimony to who God is. And then the apostle Peter starts his, uh, his first attempt at street preaching about five minutes ago. And he's going to be wrapping that up right about now. So we're going to join into the story in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore, that's Peter, he bore witness And continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, those 3,000 souls, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord... Added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You join me in asking God to bless the hearing, and preaching, and applying of His Word. Father, we are so bad at applying the things that You've given us. Would You help us, Lord? Would You open our eyes to what it means to be a believer? uh, What it is to be a disciple? what it is to be a church, Lord. Would you help us? We need your Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us. Do that for us today, please. Amen, amen. Now, I know that mass baptisms and signs and wonders and Christian communism are all very interesting, right? We, we would love to hear more about those things, but if we're honest, which I think we should be, we really want to apply God's word to our lives tomorrow, those may not be the best places to start. We'll probably get there. In fact, we're going to get to some of that today. But before we do, I want to highlight one single word that I think will help us put into, put into practice all the elements of this story and maybe even the entirety of the Bible, Okay, One little word that I think is going to help us in our Christian walk. Because, you see, this little passage, I think, summarizes the normal Christian life. It's the life that our patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they lived this kind of life. It's the life the prophets lived, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah. It's the kind of life that Jesus lived, It's the kind of life that he taught his disciples to live. It's the kind of life that you and I are saved into, right? If we're believers, this is the normal Christian life. And the word that I think really captures this normal Christian life, it's in verse 42. It's in verse 42. Would you go ahead and underline the word devoted? Or if you're in the New King James, uh, try steadfastly. It's, It's very similar. But maybe make a note, because I'm going to be saying devotion instead of steadfastly. So, devotion. I think this little word really captures what it is to be a church. And we can see in the text that there there were four distinct activities that each of these believers was devoted to. It was the teaching of the disciples, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And we don't have time today, but if we looked at the Hebrew tradition all the way through the Old Testament, and if we looked at the life of Jesus as it's described in the Gospels, we'd see these four elements popping up over and over and over again. A devotion to the teaching, a devotion to the fellowship, a devotion to the breaking of bread, a devotion to the prayers. And we're going to dig into each of those four things, but before we do, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page and, and talk about what is devotion, really? What is this word devotion? It's not complicated. Webster says it's just loyalty plus affection. So affectionate loyalty. That's all. And it's not even that rare. Even in our culture, it's not uncommon. Most of us are devoted to something whether it's our, our job, or maybe our kids, or a spouse. Uh, maybe it's to a cause or some bigger picture in life, some unity of, of uh, believers somewhere. Maybe it's a sports team. Usually, uh, this devotion shows up in a few different ways. Sometimes it's a, it's a one-time deal, a really major investment, a big purchase, or, or wedding vows, or the birth of a child. Usually, though, Devotion shows up in, in tiny decisions. Small sacrifices that play out day after day. Right? It's getting up early to make breakfast. Or, or it's driving across town to pick somebody up from the airport. Or soccer practice. Uh, maybe it's staying up late to watch the big game. Or, or maybe it's spending a little more money than you budgeted. Or staying a little bit later than you intended. But even though most of us are devoted to something, we don't talk about it very often. Well. We don't articulate it to each other very often, and so it can be difficult to really put your finger on where is devotion in your life today. What are you devoted to? And we have to remember, it's not—it's not a list of ought to. It's not, it's not drudgery. That's that's obligation, not devotion. Okay, your heart has to be in it if you're going to call it devotion. Affection is the key here. The phrase that's most helpful in identifying what is devotion, what am I devoted to, is worth it. Is it worth it? Those small small decisions, those little sacrifices over time, if you're going to step back at the end of the day and say, yeah, I was worth it, you're probably devoted to that. That phrase, worth it, you might want to write that down. All right, that's that's going to help tie some things together later on. Worth it. Now, I also think this word devotion or devoted, it can help us answer a pretty deep and, and somewhat complex question that I think a lot of us have, even though not many of us are going to ask it out loud. So I don't hear people asking in the hallways, it's, it's mostly, I don't think it's just in my mind, I think it's actually in a lot of people's minds, but maybe we're too uh, embarrassed, or maybe we're just too busy to actually say it out loud. But the question I really want to address today, uh, before we leave, the question I feel like we have to have an answer to is, what is the point of sanctification, what is the reason behind all this growing and changing that I keep hearing about from people in small group? I'm not, I'm not a complicated guy. I don't need the deluxe package on things. I don't need the platinum package. I just want the basic, right? Just give me the basic package. Why can't, why can't I just believe, be baptized, and be done? I don't, I don't need anything more than that. I just hunker down get to the finish line that's all i want now i thank god that we do have answers to hard questions right that his word does give us answers to questions like why am i suffering or what do i do with sin that's still in my life or what's my purpose in life what is god's will for me to which all good christians will say why it's, it's sanctification Right, Romans 8 says that God is slowly changing his people to be more like Jesus right, through their circumstances over time. Right, sanctification, that's why all of that's happening, but I can't be the only one. Quiet times of life that asks, is this really worth it? Is this life with Jesus, really worth it? I'm convinced that this unanswered, maybe even unspoken question, right, is, is part of the the issue behind our, our roller coaster faith. Right? It, it has some some source of our inability to fight temptation. Even our lack of genuine community or or fellowship, all these are are symptoms of this unanswered question, is the Christian life worth it? These 3,000 people that were baptized in Jerusalem, they had an answer. We had better have one too. These four devotions that we see in Acts 2, the affectionate loyalties, that Dr. Luke is describing. They could be summed up in one uh, more familiar word. We don't say devotion very often, but there's another word that we say a lot that I think summarizes these, these four activities. That word is worship. Dr. Luke is describing in great detail a lifestyle of worship. This is the normal Christian life. In simplest terms, worship is just knowing who God is and loving who God is. It's knowing God and loving God. It's, It's knowing who he really is and adoring all that we know about him. That's worship. All of God's known activities can be traced back to this single driving motivation of being universally seen for who he truly is and universally adored for all of it. In Revelation, we see uh, that the angels are always in front of him, seeing him, worshiping him, praising him. In Ephesians 3, verse 7, we even see that this church does that in, in dovetail with them. It says that uh, Paul was made a minister to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, not on the earth, but to the authorities and rulers in heavenly places. They don't see everything about God yet. There are facets, nuances. He says in Isaiah 43 that he he has redeemed people, his sons and his daughters, for his glory. A little further on in Isaiah 43, he says that you are my witnesses, those same saved people, us. You are my witnesses, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. And understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I am God. We witness. Not just observe, but also testify. We are his witnesses. And this has been his strategy from creation all the way until now, right? God has been creating for himself a display of his character. He'll increase the screen size and then turn up the resolution. He'll reveal a little more and then make it a little clearer. God's creation of the spiritual realms, it revealed some of him, his authority and his power and his radiance, but he's so much more than just that. So he creates a physical universe, and that displays more of him, his creativity and his beauty and his strength and his might and his dominion, but he's, he's so much more than just that. So he creates humans, and we're like him, we're his image bearers, we can think and feel and create, and we're like him, but we're finite, and so... He's so much more than just that, that he's willing to endure the ruin of that creation just to reveal more facets of himself, nuances. He is a forgiver. He is wrathful, his justice, but his mercy, his patience, his endurance, his holiness, but he's so much more than just that. And so he creates a whole culture, an entire people group out of nothing, the the Hebrews, to put his manifold perfections on a wide-angle lens where he can see all of his personality through through truth and through grace and from prophets and poetry and songs. We can see more and more of his personhood, like his justice uh, through generations, over centuries, but he's so much more than that. So he reveals more nuances of his personality through names and titles. He's he's the provider. He's the protector. He's our redeemer. He's our shepherd. He goes before us in battle. He's a banner over us. He's a, my God, my Lord, my Savior. But he's so much more than just that. And so he sends Jesus, the perfect picture. The physical representation of spiritual God to be Emmanuel, God in person, around us, with us. The identical image of God in flesh with all of his love and his compassion and his wisdom and his truth and his grace and his facial expressions and his body language. And because of his sacrifice, we can know God fully and we can love him for eternity. But he's so much more than just that. Track with me now. God's most vibrant picture of his person. It's not in creation. We know that. We know, and, and even though Jesus is the most perfect picture, he is the essence of who God is and why we love him. Even the incarnation of Christ is not his most daring work towards being fully known and deeply loved. His most brilliant display of who he is and what he is worth comes flooding into the universe on an HD jumbotron screen as the Holy Spirit transforms you. The Holy Spirit in you is a lifetime's worth of small decisions, tiny sacrifices, all screaming to the universe anything that we'll watch saying, He is worth it! He is worth it! He is worth it! Folks, this... multiplies across billions of believers, across all cultures all languages, for all times, it is the only way to even try to capture the rich, vibrant, infinite complexity of God's personality. You have to see it through a mosaic of billions of Holy Spirit-filled disciples, all being slowly changed into the image of Christ through their circumstances over time, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Friends, the sanctified global church is God's self-portrait on display to the universe for eternity. Amen. And our God will not be loved well enough until all of those pieces that show him perfectly are finished. And so we must have sanctified disciples from Florence sanctified disciples from Fort Thomas, from independence. We must have sanctified disciples from the prison camps in North Korea. And we must have sanctified disciples from the deserts in Sudan and from the cities in Iraq and the cities in Germany and in the Czech Republic and the farms in Guatemala. We must have sanctified disciples from some people so that our God will be known because he is worthy to be loved. We must have sanctified disciples. Billions of lives, trillions of small decisions and sacrifices, all saying to the universe, you are worth it. And that's what worship is, right? Worthiness, worth itness, declaring God's worth itness. I told you that would tie things together a little bit. All right. Let's try to connect a few dots. Okay? Hang with me. We're going we're to start connecting a few big ideas into one long logic train. So, all aboard the logic train. Okay. I think it's in your outline. Number one, our God is worthy to be worshiped. Right, meaning fully known, completely loved. Right? These four devotions that we see in Acts 2, the devotion to the teachings, the devotion to the fellowship, the devotion to the breaking of bread and the prayers, those are the basic ingredients of a life of worship. Right? There's, there's more, but there's not less. Our life of worship, our devoted life of worship, actually fulfills a dual purpose, One, it will affirm our belief that God is worth it. We see his worth itness as we devote ourselves. Two, as we slowly change to be more like the perfect worshiper, Jesus, it will reveal new facets of God's person to a watching universe. Whether it's unbelievers in your social circles, or the church, the fellowship that you're in, or rulers in the heavenly realms, they will see God's person as you slowly change in your circumstances because the world has never seen that particular kind of worship before. Lastly, this is God's plan for revealing himself to the world and saving it at the same time. There is no plan B. And you will need the Holy Spirit to work this plan. You cannot do it alone. I'll say that a little bit differently. God is actively saving the world through his people as they live out a lifestyle of worship that simultaneously reveals his character and affirms his worth to a watching universe, thus fulfilling our ultimate purpose for existing. Simple, right? The Apostle Paul follows uh, a very similar logic train in, in several places. We don't really have time to explore all of those, but if you want to, you can, you can see his perspective on it in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, that's verses 11 and following, or you can see it in Romans 1 and 2, or Ephesians 1 and 2. All three of those, I I would highly recommend checking out when you need a refresher on this kind of stuff. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. God is well aware that there has only been one person in history who has done this well. It's Jesus. He's also very well aware that you all and the universal church around us is not very good at this yet. And he is surprisingly okay with that. But I, for one, would like to become a better worshiper tomorrow than I was yesterday. If this is really my purpose for existing, I want to be a better worshiper. And so, we have to look at God's plan for creating worshipers. And I think our text today is actually going to help us get there. So in the short time we have left, I would love to look at these short verses, these few verses, and see how this might look, this lifestyle of worship might look for us in practice this week. So remember, our goal is a a lifestyle of worship, right? And the main ingredients for that life of worship are the four devotions that the new believers put put into practice in their life. So really briefly, let's, let's just break down those four devotions, so we're all on the same page, First, the apostles' teachings. These are actually Jesus' teachings about the Old Testament. So it's everything that Jesus taught the apostles. That's all they have to teach. And we're going to add to that all the things that Jesus taught the apostle Paul. And we're going to put it all together, and we're going to call it the Bible. So you can just put that in as shorthand for the uh, devotion to the apostles' teachings. It's the Bible. The fellowship. The fellowship is a group of believers that God has put you in today. Spoiler alert, all of those new believers that we saw in Jerusalem, they're not going to stay there very long. They're going to get scattered across the world, and they're going to form new fellowships, and they're going to be devoted to those. So devotion to the group of believers God has you in today. Third, the prayers. The prayers are actual chunks of time that are scheduled and blocked off just for communicating with God. It's a little different than the, the idea of abiding that Jesus talked about in, in uh, the book of John. It's, it's also a little different than the idea of constantly be praying that Paul talks about in his letters. This, this isn't multitasking. Right? It really is just you scheduling time to talk with Jesus. That's all it is. Now, the breaking of bread... It's divided some, some biblical scholars along the way. So one camp would say that the breaking of bread is a, just a normal meal that all the believers had together. So I, for one, am a big devoted follower of food. So I get that. The other camp would say that it's, no, it's the Lord's Supper. It's what we would call communion. So it's, it's a very different ceremony, which I also enjoy. So I'm not really a biblical scholar. I don't speak Hebrew or Greek like Brian said. As I prayerfully considered the breaking of bread for this message, I think in either case, right, whichever camp that you fall in, I think we can all agree that it was, it was deliberate. I think we can all say that it was regular, it was routine. That it was public. Right, it happened in community. And it was celebratory. Basically, all of the disciples... Right, Those 3,000 plus men and women, they were celebrating and they spoke about the good news about Jesus' work, uh, both his death and his resurrection and his eventual coming again. And they did it often enough that it was kind of its own thing. Right, like how we might talk about bonfires or, or grilling out or mall walkers. Well, you know you can walk in a mall, and, and you're not a mall walker, right? Not unless you have the uniform, right? You got to have the velour suit, track suit, right? Maybe a fanny pack, a visor if you're pro, <laughs> and a grill, a grill out, right? You can't, it can't be less than putting meat on a grill, right? It has to, you have to put something on a grill to be a grill out, but you all know it's so much more than that, right? It has to be more than that. And so, while I'm positive that the devotion to the breaking of bread included bread, <laughs> I'm also pretty certain it wasn't about the bread. All right, this isn't a devotion to carbs. All right, it's about Jesus. Right, it has to be about Jesus. That's the only way it works. But by now, some of you are probably wondering, all right, Dave, glad we're talking about devotions. Thank you. It's very helpful. When are we going to get to this Christian communism idea? Okay. When are we going to get to where we all sell our houses and we move out into a farm somewhere, right? And, and we all have everything in common because, brother, I have got some student debt that a lot of y'all are going to have to have in common with me. All right. So <laughs> let's get going. I, <laughs> pump the brakes there, comrade. We are, we are not. <laughs> that's not where we're headed. Okay. We are not moving out to a compound somewhere. That is not what this is about. Although some folks would like to romanticize Acts chapter 2 and and try to reinvent it into like a a new Genesis chapter 2, right? Some sort of a new Garden of Eden where the Holy Spirit comes and suddenly all God's people get all hippied out and and there's no problems and there's no property and there's no pants. And and you're like, (laughs) no, thank you. (laughs) That's not... No, that's uh, that's just not what's going on in Jerusalem. That's not what they're experiencing um, when they're all together. If I had to use one word to describe all the activities that came out of this devotion that the disciples had, it definitely would not be paradise. If I had to pick one word to describe what the activities resulted in, it would be inconvenience. This is remarkably inconvenient for everyone. Think about it. Look in verse 44. 3,000 people were added that day. 3,000 souls were added that day. You can stop right there, okay? I'm out. I don't need 3,000 new friends. I can barely hang out with the ones I have. But he goes on. 3,000 people added day by day. There's no end date here. There's no return ticket. It just goes forever. At the temple, in their homes. Okay, come on now. 3,000 of your closest friends staying for an indefinite time in your house, and they don't even speak your language? Seriously? That's your idea of paradise? Okay, that's really... You guys know. Okay, we're all friends here, right? We... So when I, was, when I was first married, about 10 years, when I was first married, Andrea and I, one of the very first conversations we ever had was, what do you do when you're at a social event, you're at some kind of party, and, and one of you is going strong, and the other one is like 100% done, right? <laughs> uh, you're on the same team, but you're, how do you get on the same page? How do you know it's got—you have to have some kind of a signal, some kind of a—you don't want to be rude. You don't want to just walk up and hover, like, look slightly disappointed and annoyed. Like, that's not—that's not Christian, so—but it has to be obvious, but it can't be too obvious, right? Like, you have to—definitely—you don't want to make a mistake, so you definitely have to know that's the signal, but it's got to be subtle, and so naturally, she and I decided on cartwheels. The done party would just do a cartwheel, and then the other one would go, oh, it's time to wrap it up. All right, let's go home. A subtle cartwheel. Fortunately, fortunately, uh, we never actually had to enact that, right? Because I can't technically do a cartwheel, but, which tells you which party was ready to leave. But, um, but I would have learned, if I was in Jerusalem, I would have learned, I've been cartwheeling all over the place. Okay, but what do you do when they're in your house, eating your food, using your toilet paper? Can't cartwheel to bed, I guess. I don't know. A logistical nightmare was happening here. Folks, this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Okay, we, yeah, we need the Holy Spirit for all the miraculous things. Yes, absolutely. But I don't know about you. I need the Holy Spirit for the mundane things. I need the Holy Spirit for the normal, ordinary, really uncomfortable, inconvenient things, right? Where somebody comes in and eats my food and sits on my couch and makes an indentation that's not supposed to be there. Don't they know the springs are weak there? No, because we don't speak the same language. Great. Folks, this is what a life of worship looks like. Those inconveniences, those uncomfortable inconveniences, that's what a life of worship looks like today. That's the life we were saved into, folks. That's the life we signed up for. And frankly, some of y'all need to wake up and get your head in the game. God didn't send his only son to die for you. His Holy Spirit to live inside of you give you access to the the unlimited supernatural power of the Holy Spirit just so you could make your life a little safer, a little more comfortable, a little easier. That's not why we were created. That's not why we were saved. We all need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to make those small decisions to make those small sacrifices that say to the world, God is worth it. But now that we have that power, let's do something with it. Let's be devoted today. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the Bible. They devoted themselves to the other believers, the the prayers, and to the reminiscing about Jesus. Let's be devoted. Now, as they devoted themselves, as those believers devoted themselves, their lives were impacted by it. They were inconvenienced. It was, it was uncomfortable, but it was worth it. And I see at least four categories I see at least four categories where if we choose to devote ourselves, we will likely be inconvenienced in the same ways. At least four categories. We see in verse 44, they were all together. In verse 46, it was was happening day by day in their homes. Folks, their devotion messed up their calendars. They had to make new schedules New commitments. It's taken me almost 10 years just to learn how to sync up poorly with one calendar. This is hard stuff. Some of you guys know that. Their devotion, it interrupted their cash flow. Some people had to quit their jobs. Some people had to pay for the people that quit their jobs. You guys know sometimes it's harder to receive the check than it is to write it? Feels good to write the check. Or you're the hero. What does that make the guy that receives the check? Or we're both disciples. Either way, whether you're you're giving or you're receiving, whether you're selling or you're quitting your job, either way, it interrupts how you receive and spend your money. It's different. Their devotion jeopardized their private property, and their personal space. And for a lot of us, that is the most precious thing of all. My me time, my alone space, my refuge, my man cave, my she shed, my wherever you call it, right? (laughs) You guys know that when you sell a possession, it's not yours anymore, right? And if something's worth selling, it's probably worth keeping too. You're gonna miss that. And some of you know when you invite people into your house, it puts you in a very vulnerable position. They can see parts of you that you were trying to hide to begin with. They start touching your things. You worked hard for that. Now they're smudges, inconvenient but it forces you to recognize your limits. It, it breaks your grip on the things that you treasure that aren't Jesus, and that's uncomfortable. Lastly, their devotion dominated their relationships and their conversations. They had to make new friends. I don't know how long it's been since you made a new friend. I tried it this year. It's really hard. It's harder than I remember it being. Maybe I just suppressed that. I don't... It's tough to make new friends. They had to. They had to learn how to talk about new things. They had to learn how to talk about old things in new ways. It's uncomfortable to change. But it's worth it. Now, I'm not saying that your uncomfortable inconveniences will be identical to theirs. right? This is acts. This is mostly describing what happened, not, not prescribing what's going to happen to you. But I think we have to acknowledge it's going to impact our life if we choose to be devoted. And it'll likely look similar to those categories. Let me just walk us through one hypothetical, just so we can see what, what might this look like in our life, if we chose to be devoted today. Let's let's pick an easy one. We'll say the prayers. If we devoted to the prayers. Or let's say you decide to have a, a group of people, maybe six or eight people, in your home um, every other Sunday, to pray for those at Grace Fellowship who have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. That's it, just to pray for them. You're like, Dave, that's really specific. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the point. It has to be specific if we're going to actually try it. It has to be specific. So you're going to have this, this prayer gathering every other week. Let's see what kind of impact might that have on somebody's life if that was their devotion. Right? Obviously, if it's in your house, it's, it's going to impact your personal space. Obviously, if it's on your calendar week after week, it's going to impact how you schedule things. It could impact new relationships depending who shows up. Right? Definitely you're going to be thinking about new people, people you weren't praying for uh, up until that meeting, maybe their families even. It's going to expose you to a whole new circle, doctors, nurses, caretakers. Possibly uh, maybe people will eat your food or, or something like that, and so it could maybe change your cash flow over a few months. Are you guys, can you see yourself in that? Could you picture yourself in a a gathering like that? How that would have to reshape how you're living today? Even that small devotion, that little sacrifice? Fun fact, if every member at Grace Fellowship was a part of a group like that, we would have over a hundred prayer gatherings. If you added in all of the attenders, people that just attend Grace Fellowship, all the adults, we would be over 250 unique prayer gatherings. Something to think about. And I, I know this stuff sounds simple and, and kind of intuitive. right? You're like, Dave, this is just common sense. Right? If you plan something, it affects the other plans. Yeah, okay, I get it. It's simple. But it is not easy. A lot of you know this. A lot of you are living out devotion and you're, you're encountering resistance. You feel it. Your flesh, your, the remaining sin in your life, it fights you every step of the way, tooth and nail. Day after day after day, you feel it. Some of you, some of you all are are feeling it because your own personal habits and preferences just rebel against any kind of adjustment to your normal, comfortable routine. You feel it. You, You know what I'm talking about. You know that our culture leverages billions of dollars and millions of man hours to discourage you, to dissuade you, to distract you. You know that, you feel it. You see it every day and it's folks, I don't know of anything that is more universally un-American than deliberately choosing a life of inconveniences. And some of you all are doing it and you feel it. Again, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need supernatural power because as soon as you devote yourself to a lifestyle of worship, you are swimming against the current. I'm not talking about a lazy river current. I'm not even talking about like a a licking river current. We are swimming against Niagara Falls, folks. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We don't have enough in ourselves to do it. But now that that power is in us, still needs to be put into practice. Plans only work if you work the plan. G.K. Chesterton is a British author and philosopher. Uh, he once wrote a book called What's Wrong with the World? And in that book he observed, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and so left untried. Friends, I would be so, so sad to hear of a member at Grace Fellowship who found a life of worship difficult and so left it untried. It is difficult. And it is worth it. So let's try. Let's Be devoted today. Let's devote ourselves to a life of worship today. These these four devotions aren't sequential. The text says that all these believers devoted themselves to all these things all at once. So let's be devoted. But I would love it if each of us picked just one. Either the the devotion to the Bible or the devotion to the believers or the devotion to uh, the prayers or the reminiscing about Jesus. Picked one because I'm confident if you picked one, you would immediately see the impact across the other three. All ships rise with the tide. In a moment, I'm going to give you all a precious gift and then a little bit of encouragement and then we'll be done. This precious gift is a brief moment of silence for you to prayerfully develop a plan, a simple plan for tomorrow. Lord willing, we'll all get another Monday. I would love it if each of us asked the God who is worth it to empower us today to do something different tomorrow because of our devotion to him. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, it's brief, to plan a simple, small decision or sacrifice that will show your devotion to the Bible, to the fellowship, or to the breaking of bread, or to the prayers. Assume that God will help you. And then record it somehow. Write it down, text it to yourself, whatever. Answer today, how would God have you Show the world tomorrow that he is worth it. Take 30 seconds. Amen. Now for your encouragement. Your devotion to God is not measured by how well your plan works. Your maturity as a Christian is not determined by how well your plan works. Your place in God's eternal kingdom is not measured against how well your little plan works. Your belonging and worth inside of God's eternal family is not affected in any way by how well your plan works. God's love for you, his delight in you, his enjoyment of you, his purpose for you, his generosity toward you, his Holy Spirit in you is not in any way impacted by how well your silly little plan works tomorrow. Hallelujah. If your plan works, praise Jesus. Your personal worship will increase. Your knowing and loving God will grow. And new facets of God's personality will be shown to the universe. Praise God. If your Monday is anything like mine and nothing goes according to plan, praise Jesus anyway. There are so many things that he's doing. All of the the works that he is involved in. So many accomplishments that your little plan simply cannot account for. He is working. And so we'll try that same small decision or sacrifice again on Tuesday. And if a couple of weeks go by and you just can't get any traction with that one specific plan, shoot me an email. We'll pray. We'll develop a new plan together. And another one after that, if we have to. And another one after that. And another one after that. And another one after that until Jesus comes back. Because just like Paul told the Philippians, I can say to you, I am confident of this. He that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will complete it, not you. He will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. You'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Your plan may never work. His always will. So while being devoted is universally mandatory, all good disciples are devoted the practice and the execution of any one particular plan is going to be pretty fluid and a little experimental because it depends on all kinds of things that you cannot predict or control. Your culture, your resources, your season of life, thousands of variables that you will never be in control of, and that's okay. Because while the plan and execution may... Barry, the, the results of your continued devotion to a life of worship will always have the same results. I want to invite the band back up. Let's look at verse 46 and 47 in closing. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The results of our continued devotion will always be he will put joy in you in the process. The result of our continued devotion will always be the praise of King Jesus, of people around us. And the results of continued devotions of sanctified believers will always be the salvation of many. And it's going to feel like dying. But our God has a habit of resurrecting dead people. Jesus said in Luke 9, 24, whoever loses his life, whoever dies, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And he's not talking about martyrs, people. He's talking about small decisions and sacrifices made day after day. He's talking about sanctification. This is why we're sanctified. He's talking about devotion. Because we were created for a life that screams to the universe, God is worth it. be devoted. God, would you help us in our devotion to you? Would you empower us to live out a life of worship? Amen. Let's sing to the Jesus who's worth it.